Episode 125 of the Bevan James Isles Show, an interview with Bevan Lawson. Radio team, welcome along to episode 125 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviors that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that go alongside it. As you can tell, I am losing my voice today. I did um, some work at a race called Challenge Wanaka over the weekend. It's basically an iron distance race, and so basically from 6 o'clock in the morning through till midnight, I was yelling at people in, in, a, in a positive way, cheering people on through the race, and one of the downfalls of doing that job is your voice gets a little bit tired by the end of it. So today, um, I sound a little bit crusty, but we will persevere. Today, I've got an interview with a guy called Bevan. It's right, Bevan. It's another Bevan on the show. Uh, Bevan Lawson. Bevan Lawson is a physiotherapist and also a mental skills coach. And he works with young teams and athletes and teams and just all types of people in sports performance. So I've known Bevan for quite a few years actually, but he was at the race the other night and we were just having a yarn. I just thought, oh, wow, it'd be really cool to get him on to talk about this thing that he does around mental skills development and so we kind of sat down just before and we got through the interview and we kind of you know she has lots of kind of cool insight into it so I'm going to get that on pretty soon I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to say over the last couple episodes I've tried to be championing, championing the book Lost Connections by Johan Harry and I have arranged an interview with him so I have got an interview coming up, hopefully in the next podcast, so that has been confirmed. Um, I'm just not sure if it will be the next podcast or the podcast afterwards. Again, that book, The Lost Connections, or Lost Connections, not The Lost Connections, is such an important book, and it's a book that I've just been championing, and it was actually interesting. I, someone, one of the listeners of the show actually sent me an email and just said, wow, I can't believe how great this book is, and, and um, thanks for kind of sending it through, so... I highly recommend Lost Connections, but I am going to have an interview with Johan in the next kind of couple episodes. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, before we get into the main gist of today's show, I just want to give some love to some of the patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com and you'll see this little Patreon link there. And what that does is each time I do a show, you just contribute as much as you want to the show. It can be a dollar, it can be $10, it can be whatever you want. So... Um, Phoebe Sanders, the Stark, oh, and, and when you become a patron, uh, I give you a nickname, and so if you want to become a patron, you get a cool nickname, and we've got Michael the Hammer Nook, we've got Renee the Hawk Whores, we've got Michael the Hardcore O'Kane, Michael, I haven't seen you in a long time, Michael comes used to come to the gym a lot, and I haven't seen him in a long time, so maybe Michael, flick me an email, let me know where you're at, um, we've got um, Samuel Mysterious Man Melino Weaver, and Donald the Explorer. James. So if you want to become a patron of the show and support me and what I am doing here, just go to bevanjamesos.com and we can rock on from there. Anyway, I'm going to put the interview up with another Bevan. Again, there's not many Bevans in the world, so it's pretty cool that there's another Bevan who's kind of passionate about the same thing as I am. Here's my interview with Bevan Lawson. (laughs) 
Rightio team, I'm pretty excited to have a man who has a great name, because he's got the same name as me, Bevan Lawson, <laughs> on the show today. How are you going, Bevan? Thanks, Bevan. Yeah, I know it is a great name, eh? There's not too many of us around in the world. No, there really aren't that many Bevans. Um, maybe just give you know give a bit of an introduction to yourself. Now, we'll be talking about the mental skills stuff today, but maybe just give an introduction overall on Bevan. Um, well, I've got quite a wide and varied background in the grand scheme of life. I um, grew up down in Moscow, uh, down south in Dunedin there, but... Um, my, I'm trained as a physiotherapist full-time, uh, and that's my full-time job. And on the side, I also do some mental skills coaching for sports teams and individuals, which I think in the end, that's that's where my real passion lies. And, and don't get me wrong, I still love being a physio, but uh, that, that sort of that buzz and excitement I get from doing the mental skills coaching is, is something else that's next level as well. I think that also partly comes from my own background in sport too. I've been lucky enough to represent New Zealand in, in a couple of different sports now, and at the moment, still am captaining the, the New Zealand national korfball team. Um, we're due to head to, to Japan for a tournament coming up in, in the next six months. So that's for the Asia Oceania Champs, which is the next exciting project ahead of us as well. So lots of lots of challenge and, and, and lots of exciting times to look forward to and, and a fair bit of hard work along the way, which is all, always adds to the element of fun with it as well. Definitely. Hey, so... First of all, what kind of person, when we talk about, well, let's give, give us a definition of what mental skills is. Um, I would say mental skills is essentially trying to develop the mental side of performance and, and how you define performance. It can be sport related, it can be outside of sport as well, but it's trying to create someone's uh, mental approach to sport or to life in a way that they can end up having the most positive outcomes for themselves. So, you know, whether that be just creating a better positive outlook in the way they approach challenges, or whether it be a case of more performance-based and looking at the outcomes that they're trying to create with success in their own sport as well. So we look at all of those different sides of it, and I think the really nice thing as well, what I focus on with that mental skills approach is very sports-focused. The skills are completely transferable into all other areas of life. So, whatever we work on, you know, from a sporting perspective, we actually make sure that they can translate those skills into other areas of life as well. So that it can better not just their, their their sport life, but also their home life and, and their work life and whatever other areas of interest that they have. Yeah. What what are maybe what are the, some of the most common problems you face in the role that you're in? I'd say two things come up. Uh, it's either people not believing in themselves enough and having that lack of self-confidence and self-belief um, and constantly questioning themselves. Uh, and the other one is is really probably a lack of self-awareness as well. So, oh, okay. you know, people that, that don't really know where that next step is for them, um, you know, and, and the pressure they place on themselves as a result of that to try and uh, try and actually just deal with what's in front of them the best they possibly can but they have, haven't necessarily been had their minds open to different ways of coping with those things or, or actually seeing though that situation that, that is in front of them. And when you can come along and provide a different perspective for someone, then that allows them to, to actually change their whole view on, on that situation that's in front of them and, and deal with it in a much more capable way. Let's, let's look at both. So lack of confidence and lack of awareness – What's the effect on these people's lives and performances when they are lacking in those two areas? Um, particularly with lack of confidence, I think fear takes over hugely. Okay. And, and probably the biggest thing with fear is it stops people taking action and then 
as a result, they, they tend to stagnate or, or just sort of flounder along and they're not really working towards those those things that they're focusing on and those things they want out of their own lives as well. And um, It's always an interesting one, I think, with fear. It, it can often so much be that story that you create in your own mind that doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of the world around you. Mm. Um, my, my own mentors, they used to say that anticipation is always worse than the actual mm. and the things that you those stories that you create in your own mind about what's going to happen or about what other people are thinking or, or how they're perceiving you completely are, are off track and off target of what the actual reality of that is and as a result of that you know that we tend to go oh, I won't do that in case in case they judge me in this way or they, they see me in that way and that fear really stops people working towards something that they might want I mean you know we could you could even bring it back to something as simple as, you know, how often in life, uh, or shall we say, let's say a young male or female sees an attractive uh, person that they want to ask out, but they're too afraid to do so because they're too afraid of, of what the potential negative consequences are. Mm. And, that, and that tends to be probably the big thing is that they focus on the potential negatives rather than focusing on well, what's actually the possible good things that could happen from this as well. Mm. You know, if it's just changing that focus to change the way that someone sees that situation. And I imagine the downfall of that is if that's how you continually are making decisions, there's this kind of real sense of maybe loss of self and also kind of um, that kind of sense I'm never really getting what I want from life. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And a big part of that comes to understanding someone creating that self-awareness. So what we were talking about before, you know, that, that real sense of purpose and who you are as a, as a human as well. And we can see it from a professional sporting sense where, you know, a lot of the professionals, once they, they end their careers, they struggle from, a you know, an understanding of who they are as people. And then that's where, unfortunately, you know, we they haven't necessarily had the, the support networks around and, and suicides do become a big problem in that. I mean, that's a very extreme example, of course. But, you know, we do see that on, on a more localised level where you have, if you don't have that sense of purpose or, or understanding around who you are, then it can create that sort of floundering along and not necessarily being able to pursue the things that you really want in life as well. Well, I find that person, you know, that, that's a very interesting life, isn't it? Because it's two things that can happen is, A, your world recognises you from a snapshot of time in your life, and all they kind of yep. tend to want to talk to you about is that time in your life. And exactly. B, if you haven't developed yourself as a person, you're living for a longing for a past that you can never have again. And, mm. you know, so what's the flow and effect of that? You know, it's like it can't, be, it can't be a nice place to be living. Certainly not. But, I mean, the nice thing is, is that there's much more awareness around that in sport now, especially. And so there's the support networks that are growing around these athletes are much greater. But it's still, you know, those, those challenges when someone is placed under that form of pressure. And, and you know, from, let's say, you know, an average Joe Average public person, we would see the pressure that those athletes are in is what, situation they are in on the field or on the pitch or wherever they are but you know their pre they might that might be their comfort zone because they know that that's where they're strong and they know their strengths are on the field their pressure might be outside of life and social situations and where they don't know how to cope with those as well and so the way we perceive that pressure and the way we understand our strengths also has a really important role to play in understanding you know ourselves and, and our purpose in life as well. So, so someone comes to you. They're a good local athlete. Wants to make that next step up, but they feel their confidence, or they just, you know, they feel they're getting the way of themselves. What, what kind of process will you take someone through? Like, maybe talk us through some of the steps or tools that have really helped people progress. 
there's sort of a, a little model that I work off, uh, which which really governs that, which is firstly, again, un- helping them understand themselves as the athlete. So, you know, creating that self-awareness and really starting to delve into that. And, and we know, again, depending on, on what sort of personality that they are, there's a tendency that a strengths-based focus to that is the most useful approach in those early stages where you'll get the most gains with someone as well. So helping them understand what their strengths are, you know, within their role, but also, you know, not within their role, within their team or or their individual sport, but also outside of that as well. As I said, you know, the important thing is that we're not just focused on the athletes as an athlete, Mm -hmm. but we're focused on the athletes as a human and, and how, you know, their personalities can come into their sport and their strengths of their personalities can help them thrive in their, in their athletic career as well. Um, from there, once we've delved into that and created a wee bit more around that self-awareness, that's starting to build that foundation where we can start to, you know, grow a little bit more of that self-belief and confidence. We really tend to try and move on and help the athlete understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um, yeah, traditional way of the traditional way of approaching sport or, or any athletic pursuits, you would say we tended to focus on what we do, so essentially the sport in itself, before we focused on why we do it. I mean, we're lucky here in New Zealand, I think, with the All Blacks as being such a, a bright example of what can be achieved when that focus changes. And so they've now taken the focus to focusing on why the All Blacks do what they do and who they are as a, as a team unit and, and as an identity. And then once they have established that, then they can worry about the rugby side of things. Mm. But, you know, really understanding that that why and your purpose behind what you're doing, you know, I mean, as we saw with those athletes down at Challenge Wanaka over the weekend, you know, their why and their meaning behind what they were doing would be completely different for every single one of them. You know, the professionals who who were out there, you know, challenging themselves against the top athletes and pushing times or, you know, that person who was coming across the line at 10, 10.30 at night in pitch black darkness with a headlamp, mm-hmm. you know, to a roaring crowd as well. And their why is so different, but making sure that that is at the forefront of your mind, regardless of what you're doing, will help you push through any of those challenges that come up along the way, yeah. um, regardless of how strong or, or those challenges are or how big those roadblocks can be. And, and, and so you're saying to serve their strengths, help them see that they have strengths and then how to make most of those strengths and then start to shift them towards why are you doing this, you know, to, to help them find their real driver. Yep, that's a, that's a big part of it. And I think that will, I mean, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be, you know, roadblocks that are going to crop up along the way. So you want to create that real strong foundation so they are more resilient and ready to cope with whatever comes up you know, and, and, and preparing them for that rather than necessarily just focusing purely on the, the on-field or the in-competition skills straight away, which, you know, that, and that's a challenge for us and as a mental skills practitioner too. You know, sometimes that people turn up and they expect, right, you know, when you're on-field, do this, this and this, you know, and, and this is going to help you get through the game and manage that stress in the game. But, you know, when we try and create that awareness, again, around the value of understanding themselves and their, their purpose and their why a lot more, then they'll start to actually open up to the idea of the fact that, okay, if we can work through this, we create a nice big foundation for them to work from, which mm-hmm. creates a much higher peak of performance at the end of it all as well. What about the person who sees himself as a cracker? You know, like someone who, who kind of in that key moment where you're trying to teach yourself, you kind of see yourself that 
I'm going to fail. And, the, and, the, and that's what they're going to be saying all the time. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Mm-hmm. The big thing with that is that they tend to be results focused, okay. you know? So the reason why they're going to fail, well, well, what is failure to them? You know, failure is often I'm not going to, you know, win the game or I'm not going to break six hours for this, for this race that I'm in. Um, and if they're constantly focused on that outcome, there's so many factors that come into that that will mean, look, they're not necessarily going to get there, so you're always going to perceive yourself as being a failure. So that that's kind of the next part of what I would actually move on to with them as well is, is looking at how they view different concepts. So, you know, how they view failure, what is it? And it's actually something that we really try and encourage. Um, if you have a good understanding of giving something a go, failing and learning from it, and that's a great growth process. And as we all know, we all learn more from from our failures and our successes, if you're prepared to be open enough mm. to learning from those failures. Yeah. Um, and so taking that, that focus away from the outcome and returning it to something that they can control and something that is just a step-by-step process for them. So let's say, you know, it's an athlete who's competing in a multi-sport triathlon, they're trying to break six hours. If they're constantly looking at their watch going all six hours, all six hours for that whole whole race obviously the pressure and 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 how they're likely to perform in that situation is is going to be a lot more difficult Mm. whereas if we take it to the point where okay to break six hours i know i need to focus on my breathing and my cadence that's something that's completely controllable for that athlete and if they continue to just focus on their breathing and their cadence the result takes care of itself Mm. and it happens in a way where they place less pressure on themselves so they can just let that performance flow rather than being in that situation where that outcome is the be-all and end-all of, of how they define their success. A really good example of kind of someone who's really nails it, there's the, the all-black captain and, or previous captain, a guy called Richie McCaw, New Zealanders will know him, but maybe people overseas won't know him so much. Uh, he had a documentary on him, very successful, probably the most successful sports person, or one of the most successful sports people New Zealanders have had. And uh, there's a good documentary on him, and he said that, you know, he realised that ultimately I want those high-pressure moments because that's when the greatest expression of self and discovery and learning, and, you know, so instead of being afraid of those moments, actually, that's what I need in my life. And that's kind of, Agreed. That's, that's, that's the greatest example of it, really, isn't it? It's, it's a perfect example of it around that, and some of the, the athletes or groups that I've worked with in the past, we, we talk about walking towards the fire, you know, looking forward to that challenge and really going, look, this is the chance where I get to, to put all of that hard work and all of that training and all that energy that I've that placed into preparing for this moment to the test. Mm-hmm. And if you can look forward to that test in that way, but still focus on the things that you can control, then the chance of that outcome being being a good one is, is greatly increased. It's also understanding. It's not perfect. You know, it's it's not like that outcome is guaranteed. And in and, and that movie about Richie chasing great, you know, they spoke about, you know, some of those high-pressure games when they've been down and and late in the game they've been behind. And, and so Richie's process was it was quite simply get the ball and get it up the field, get the ball and get it up the field. And that was all they thought of because it was something they could control and it was simple and they could stick to mm-hmm. when they were under that really high-pressure situation. And I think Richie is a fantastic example of someone who knows his strengths incredibly, incredibly well. You know, his... We would say that, and knowing a bit of background behind Richie as he was growing up as a young rugby player, you know, he was never the most talented of ball handling 
players. Um, but he knew that he was an incredibly good over the ruck situation. He could steal the ball and get that possession back for his team. And then through his hard work and his energy, was was able to actually create that. And I know from uh, his school days when he came in as a as a young young schoolboy into the into the first fifteen. He certainly annoyed a lot of the older guys because it was this young upstart who was coming along and stealing the ball all the time. And I remember a story around uh, apparently his coach having to tell him to hold back because otherwise uh, some of the older guys might give him one across the nose. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you know, he he really stuck to his strengths. He knew what they were and he worked his backside off to make sure that those strengths were as good as what they could be while also, you know, making sure that that limited – how obvious his his weak areas were as well, and I think that's why his his career was such a success, and, and why he was such a great leader as well. Well, and let's um, let's let's talk a little bit about kind of team dynamic because you know obviously you work as a coach as a one on one, and we can talk mm-hmm. about individual kind of pressures and stuff. But I'm sure lots of people listening to this uh, play in sports teams, or maybe even sports coaches, or or just team dynamic in any form of life. You know, like what. What are some of the kind of things that a mental skills coach is going to look at when they're working with a bigger group of people? Uh, initially, when I go in to work with a team, it's sort of two things. It's it's doing exactly what we spoke about from an individual perspective, but actually taking that into a team environment. So getting the team to understand you know, what their strengths are as a group um, and also what their why is as a team. You know, having Understanding their purpose, we, we sort of start to open that up a little bit. And bring in more, you know, what what the vision is for that team, you know, who they want to be seen as. Again, the All Blacks, you know, obviously are, are a great example of, you know, a team that want to be seen in a certain way around their, their professionalism and their athleticism. And that's the way that that translates to those individual athletes on the field being able to perform and, and represent uh, what that, that vision is. Um, and also getting their values nailed down as well. You know, what are your team values that are, the, are going to be the, the sets of behaviours that define the way we are as a team. Um, and, and I think you know, having that, that purpose, vision and values approach is a really strong part of creating that strong team culture initially. Um, and the other thing that, that I think is really important as well is, is creating an environment where everyone feels comfortable and safe to open up and, and to express and, and to know that they're not going to be judged again trying as much as possible to remove that fear that we spoke about earlier because even in those team environments you know you, when you can create that absolute trust with your teammates how much easier is it for for the team to work for each other when you're out there on the field in those pressure situations because well, it's ultimately what you're asking isn't it? is that will you be there when i need you Exactly, you know, and, and I suppose you're looking for evidence in most interaction, maybe subconsciously, but you yep. know, you know, if, if they've let you down in training or if they do something, then it may create a little bit of a chink in your armour and protection with others. Yeah, and it, it, look at, from the sporting perspective of what we look at now, you could almost take it back to you know some of what the comrades in, in, in World War One and World War Two would have felt like. You know, they would have would have wanted to know that they were standing you know, with arms next to someone that they completely trusted to have their back. And that's what, you know, most teammates would be wanting from a sporting perspective as well, is that when you step out there on the pitch, that you know that this person will, will fight and, and, and put every piece of energy that they have out there to doing the best that they can for the team. Mm. And that's created through through creating a strong trust through all team members and, and making sure that everyone's comfortable about opening up. Um, with each other and that you know can be quite a challenge uh, particularly with some 
some more established athletes that have certainly done things in a certain way over a long period of time um, where you know you're asking them to to open up and, and to maybe in some cases express emotions that they would normally keep keep hidden away as well and but if we can create that culture of openness and that that trust where you know if I express you know this is the way I'm feeling about this situation on the on the pitch or this is the way and, it, and that I feel about actually there's all of this other stuff going on in life for me at the moment which is affecting my performance but it creates that environment where everyone can work together to help each other through those situations um, and, and look hugely you'll see the most successful teams are often the ones that are the closest I mean there's always exceptions to the rule you can still be a great team and have really poor team culture but mm. you know I can guarantee you most of the time that's just because you've got a really big budget behind you as well yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well regards to um, different cultures you know so I once I did an interview with Graham Henry a while ago and mm-hmm. um and it was really interesting because he was talking a little bit about how, you know, Harry had to coach Samoan cult players differently to like a Richie McCaw. And he talked about how with Richie, it was very much, you, you can be the greatest. It was very much just put the carrot in front of him and he'll go do it. Whereas yep. with, with the, um, the Samoan players, it was very much your team needs you because it was more of a family kind of culture. So in regards to within a team, we do have different kind of backgrounds and different kind of, of cultures. Course. Yeah. And so, and how do you make sure that we're tapping into everyone's kind of, drivers I suppose is a way of thinking about it but as a team it's working for everybody I think it's uh, it does come down to creating that understanding you know like quite clearly you know Māori Pacific Island cultures that we're used to seeing a lot here in New Zealand have quite a different family focus and philosophy and that is a huge power and strength for them as well and we can see that the last Rugby World Cup I think has been a good example you know when you can create a really strong you know, Pacific culture and the passion and the energy that comes with that as well. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing and what they can achieve as a result is, is absolutely incredible, you know, with what Tonga were able to do at the Rugby World Cup and, and you know, certainly causing a number of upsets. Yeah. Um, and from a team environment, you know, it's actually, again, comes back to knowing that we create that understanding and that trust. So, you know, each individual has a different ethnic background. I mean, some of the teams I work with, I think we've got, you know, Pacific cultures, Māori cultures, we've got, you know, white New Zealand uh, Pākehā as well. There's, there's certainly Asians that are all mixed in that same with that same team and those backgrounds. And and it's it's a challenge for a, for a coach or for a mental skills coach to try and bring all of that together. But, you know, creating that openness and that trust where everyone can t- talk and understand those things and then pull out from each of those cultures where those strengths might lie so we can bring together all of those strengths in one team unit. Mm-hmm. What about co- helping coaches? Do you help coaches? Yep, so working with coaches is also an important part of it, um, whether it be a coach of an individual athlete uh, to make sure that you know the message that I'm creating for that athlete is supported, um, or whether it be the coach of the team as well. And Look, as, as mental skills coaches, we don't tend to get to spend a lot of time with the athletes um, or, or the teams that we work with. So having those messages reinforced through the coach who's working with them constantly is absolutely the most important thing in terms of getting those, those messages to stick and, and that culture to be created when we're not there. Um, you know, look, I'm sure in an ideal world, we'd all, we'd all love to be able to you know, be with our athletes one-on-one all the time and be able to be there and support them with our teams in those environments. But the realities of, of life and of funding doesn't, don't allow that to actually happen. 
what about um, if we think about the people who you really have seen made massive progress? You know, maybe they lack confidence or awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, six months later or in a time period, you know, they really have moved forward. What are some of the key attributes that they bring to it? You know, other than the skills that you're helping them develop, but some of the maybe the key attributes that allow them to create the shift. I think for the athlete in themselves, it's it's having that that real desire. You know, that want to change. If someone comes to me and sort of because they've been pushed into it, you know, a coach says, oh, you need to go and talk to, talk to Bevan, you know, he's going to really help you with this or, 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 you know, a parent often with some of the youth athletes that I deal with as well. Mm. Um, they, we need to try and create that desire to change and, and, and really improve in the first place. You know, if there's none of that, that passion for that and, and, and creating that understanding again, that comes back to them really understanding their why and why this this mental side of the game for them is going to be incredibly beneficial, then people aren't going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got to want to create that change in the first place. And that is often the, one of the hardest things that, for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once we get over that, and, and you know, some, for some people they come in and they're just completely engaged the whole time. They've got that will and that want to change. It, hey, life's easy for us then. And, 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 and they really engage and, and use the messages uh, and the progress is, can be mind-bogglingly quick sometimes. Mm. Um, with others, we might be chipping away more slowly over time because they're not as fully engaged in that process and, and, and their emotion that's caught up behind it can either one hold them back or can really spur them on as well. Um, so their, their approach and their attitude is incredibly important to how much we can achieve or should I say how quickly we can achieve change with them as well. You know, as long as they're prepared to to be to to just stick at that process and keep chipping away at it, you know, even if some of that change isn't isn't happening straight away, um, then that determination will serve them well in the long run. And sometimes, you know, it's it's just getting that that person to that tipping point. You know, we've got to keep chipping away at it, keep chipping away at it, and all of a sudden something clicks, everything falls into place, and away they go. But it's just about keeping them focused to that point and then keeping themselves focused, knowing that that point is ahead of them as well. Well, and I think ultimately the name of your role is mental skills and, and, and to really identify that, you know, it is a skill. You know, like I, I did Ironman for years and people would always just mm. say to me, do you think you were born naturally tough or mentally tough? And and I was like, well, no, it's just something I've developed in myself, you know, and, you know, I think I had the ability to push my body really hard and myself really hard, but it was not something I was born with, it was something I kind of worked on through experience and growth and so on. Um, mm. And I think people kind of label themselves that I am this thing or I am this way inclined. Whereas yep. if, you, if you establish that it's just a skill and if I'm willing to work on this skill, it's something I can definitely progress in. 100%. And the challenge for us as mental skills coaches now, particularly in a lot of sporting organisations and, and, and environments that we work in, is actually normalising the mental approach to the game as being a part of someone's training. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone understands that, you know, they need to train their specific skill. So for you, obviously, you will use your swim technique, your bike technique, and your running technique. Everyone understands that they need to work on their strength and conditioning. So, you know, their physical fitness and, and their cardiovascular fitness and their strength. And now that third element that's coming into that now is the mental mental fitness, if you want to call it that way as well, where you actually are putting yourselves in in that position to be able to perform at your best and and bring the most out of your skill training and bring the most out of your your strength and conditioning training too. That's the challenge for us now, 
we, we're starting to get more understanding of the importance of the mental skills approach and the value of that within sport as well. But that's only really developed over the last 10, 15 years. You know, prior to that, the, the sports psychologist or the mental skills coach was seen as that guy you'd go to if something was going wrong. And at least now, you know, they can understand that, that the positive effects that it can have as well. I always love to ask people, what's the bit that you struggle in? Like, where, where's your growth in this area? For me, it's, it's, it's constantly challenging myself to be better and to, to deal with people in a different way. So I, I think as a physio, I see myself as the type of person where you have to have a whole different range of tools in your toolkit to deal with someone's back injury or leg injury or whatever it might be because that same tool won't work for, for every person. And it's exactly the same as a mental skills coach. You know, every person that walks in my door is completely different and has a, has a completely different approach to their life. And so my ability to connect with them and to find a message that they connect with is the most important thing with that. So I'm constantly trying to, to learn and to create new ways of doing things or, or new ways of bringing those messages across. So each person that walks in my door can, can actually find something that they connect with and find meaningful to them. I think, you know, the message in itself can be very similar, you know, across all of those different situations. But the person that I'm working with has to be able to find some, some meaning and some emotion to connect with that as well. Otherwise, you know, they won't then use it, take their message and use it in their own lives or in their own sport as well. Mm. Uh, when you've, you know... Are there moments where you kind of know you've cracked it with somebody? Like, or, like, you know, are there some real defining things that kind of maybe you see quite a few times that really kind of let you know oh, yeah, we're here or at least we've progressed past the big steps with these people? Of course. Um, I, I've had, you know, particularly, I guess, some younger athletes that I've worked with, and that's probably my real passion is working in that, that teenage athlete space because you know how much change you can get with someone and the value that it has in their overall life as well. Uh, I can certainly think of, uh, of a couple of young athletes uh, that I've worked with who, you know, again, after only one or two sessions with, with some of these athletes, they come back in and they're just, they're, they're just buzzing. You know, they walk in and you can see their posture's different. The way that their body language is in that situation compared to when they walked in the first day is, is completely, completely changed. You know, that confidence and, and the way it changes their persona as well and the way they feel about themselves, which to me is that's where the real, real value comes in. You know, as I said, I, I do this mental skills coaching to reach people through sport, but the real value I see in it is it being able to positively affect people's lives outside of sport because in the end, you know, sport, well, again, my mentors, they used to tell me, look, Bevan, just remember, sport's the bonus. Mm. You know, life is more important than sport and sport's the bonus. So, you know, if you can make sure that, you know, your home life is going well. You know, you, you've got good relationships in your life. Your work life is going well because, unfortunately, most of us can't make a career out of sport. No, um, and then, you know, on top of that, and, and the way that we can, we can positively influence that in the reverse, where we can reach people through sport and, and through this mental skills coaching, but then positively influence, you know, their home life and the way they feel about themselves. Is, that's, that's the real love and passion I have for it, and that's what gives me the, the real buzz. It's, I always talk about the fact that after I've done one of these mental skills sessions that, you know, I feel like I'm just on this absolute, you know, euphoric high because of being engaged and, and, and seeing the way that 
that can affect you know the athletes that I deal with. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, especially if you could help teenagers, like how transformative is that? And you know, to get someone at that moment in life and give them that kind of thing that's going to help them move forward in life in really powerful mm. ways is really important stuff. Um, if, yeah. you, if someone's listening to this right now, um, and maybe not even just sporting, but you know, and now th- you, you know they feel, oh, um, you know, I could definitely do with this kind of work. What would, what would you kind of what would you say to that person? Look, I think it goes back to what we, what we talked about before. You know, there's, there's a lot of it that you can start that journey on your own. You know, you can start to create some of that self-awareness. It's about asking those questions of yourself and being a bit vulnerable and open up to who you are deep down as an individual. Mm-hmm. And that could be, you know, going and talking to someone. You know, it could be a friend. It could be a mental skills coach. It could be a coach. Or it could be, you know, a teacher or, or some cases. There's plenty of people out there who who have the knowledge and, and ability to deal with that. You know, it's just really a case of for you as the individual being prepared to open up and ask a question, you know, and and being prepared to, to be a little bit vulnerable around how you see yourself and how you see the world seeing you as well. And and if you can if you're prepared to do that, that's gonna start that journey in terms of helping you understand you know where you're at what purposes what purpose you want to have and, and, and what goals you want to start to work towards as well mm-hmm. and if you can you can create that and start to see a pathway around okay this is this is the big picture for me this is what I'd love to do with my life and then you can start to work back and and just create you know small steps and chunk that down to small manageable controllable steps then it's so much easier to actually follow that pathway as well but the hardest thing is often making that first step or opening your mouth and asking that question in the first place and, and remembering that, okay, don't focus on the potential negatives of asking that first question. Focus on what amazing things could happen as a result of you opening your mouth and, and asking that first question of someone else or asking that first question of yourself. Yeah, great. Hey, thanks so much. If, if people, like, do you do this over the internet? Like, I'm not sure. Like, or if people want to get in touch with you. Uh, look, I'm, I'm pretty flexible in the way, way I approach things. So I do a lot of team sessions and, and talk with schools face-to-face. Uh, I do uh, a lot of one-on-one face-to-face work, but I certainly can work you know, via Skype and over the internet as well. Okay, well, um, um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give your email on the website you know, after the fact and so people can get in contact with you that way. Um, Bevan, Sounds thank great. you so much for your time today. It's a great interview and you've got some really good insight to share with people. Um, you're a star. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for your time, Bevan. Much, much to appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. Awesome. So there you have it. There is my interview with Bevan Lawson. I'll put a link to his email address in the show notes, um, and that way you can, um, you know, if you want to work with Bevan, I'm sure he'll be able to make it work. And nowadays with the internet, you can kind of do these things anywhere in the world, so you can check that out. Um, thank you Ben for coming on the show so that's pretty much today's show done and dusted one thing I, I will say um, I was doing that work hence I've got no voice right now I was doing that work at Challenge Wanaka over the weekend and, and it's an Ironman distance race and um, I got to be behind the finish line as people cross the finish line and an Ironman is, is you know an Iron, so an Ironman if you don't know it's 3.8k swim, 180k bike run, you run a marathon. And it's it's kind of the ultimate test of adversity, really, or one of the ultimate tests of adversity. And it's, it's 
you feel very privileged to be across the line as people are coming into a day in their life where they really are testing how much adversity they can handle. And there's just some real clear examples in my head of people from Saturday when I was doing the work. I remember there was one lady and she crossed the line and she just kind of fell to the ground. Now, now a lot of people kind of fall to the ground because their legs are pretty, pretty tired after that kind of day. But it was just an emotional overwhelm. And... Um, and she kind of was, she broke down and she was sobbing, like she was sobbing and, and not in a, it wasn't a sad sobbing, it was just the emotion of the thing she had overcome was so powerful and so overwhelming at that moment that it was just overtook her and you could see that it meant so much to this person and there's this challenge, this, this race that they did, which is so much more than that crazy day, you know. Really, most people who get to the finish line of something like that have probably spent a couple years of their life growing, challenging and growing and, and facing fear and, and being afraid of, am I going to make it, and having doubt and, and, you know, slowly winning and having some, you know, three steps forward, two steps back, you know, all that kind of stuff and... And then you get this day where you get to test it. All that you work you've done. And then you finish. And it's a really powerful moment. And I think it's really healthy in life to have those moments. Now, it doesn't have to be an Ironman, no. For some people it's just doing a half marathon. Some people it's doing a 10k run. Some people it's joining the gym. But it's really a cool thing to have in your life is to have those moments where you do test yourself. And you do challenge yourself, but you do it in a way where, you know, you can be proud of what you've done. And that was what was really cool about that moment with that lady. She's kind of lying on the ground, kind of sobbing. It was, a, it, it was an emotional overwhelm that was a reward for who she was as a person. And that's the thing I love about these moments in life is that there's a sense of ownership of self that comes from that time. When you, when you really step it up to that next level, that ownership of, do you think she's going to walk around for the rest of her life going, I'm the kind of person who pushes through in my hardest moments? And do you think there's value to that? And to me, that's what looking for challenge for in life can really embrace and give to you. So I just wanted to share that with you. It was, it was just, I didn't, she wasn't the only example. There was so many. There was another example where uh, it was quite cute. Um, this lady crossed the line, and she, again, she was pretty emotional. And the family's just trying to get a photo because they've got the whole professional photographer behind the finish line. And she's smiling, but she, you know, her mouth's smiling and crying at the same time. And it's it's a funny cry because there was just kind of too many emotions trying to be expressed through this person right at that moment. And it was just a really beautiful moment to see in somebody's life. You know, they had their loved ones around them. They're they're happy. They're they're ecstatic. They're tired, overwhelmed, it was just a really cool thing, and, and if that's something you're not having in your life, maybe it's something you put in your life, you know, there's some real value to that time. Team, if you enjoy my show, you can become a patron of the show, to go to bevanjamesisles.com, click on the patron link, it's all pretty clear on there, and then also you can um, email me, bevanjames at gmail, and spread the word about the show, you can send it uh, to your friends by your social media, or if, you know, just tell your mate, when you're at work, doing some work, say, listen to this podcast, I think it's pretty cool. Anyway, that's me for this week. As I was saying earlier in the show, I think 
probably in the next show, I'm going to have Johan Harry on, and he's going to be talking about Lost Connections, which I think is the most important book of the last period of time. So check it out. I'll see you soon. Thank you.